Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning. That you would help us to trust in you. That you would help us to trust your plans and purposes, that we would trust your promises, that we would trust in Christ. And this morning, Lord, I pray that as we look to your word together, I pray, Lord, that we would trust, that you would take this word, you would apply it to our hearts, that you would change us, Lord. That our, that our focus would not be on ourselves, but that we would focus rightly on Christ and His glory. And we pray this in His name. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. We're going to be in Psalms this week and next week, and then... In the month of May, we will do a five-part series through the book of Zephaniah. So, looking forward to that, but today we're going to continue on with Psalm number four, and in a lot of ways, Psalm number four is almost like part two of Psalm three. I just said a lot of numbers. I confused Jody, I could tell. There are a lot of similarities between the message of Psalm four and the message of Psalm 3. But what I want to do this morning is I want to take Psalm 4 and I want to kind of expound from it what are some things that we should see in our own lives? What are some ways that we can show that we do trust the Lord? My message title this morning is Put Your Trust in the Lord. And that is a quote from Psalm 4. But what we're going to see this morning, what I hope to show you from the Scriptures, are some concrete ways that you can trust God in the midst of whatever your circumstances may be. And so let's look together at Psalm 4. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll come back and read our individual sections as we go through point by point. So Psalm 4, beginning with verse 1, says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, 
make me dwell in safety. So the first thing that I would like for us to see in our text this morning comes from verse 1. And that is, when you trust in the Lord, you pray with assurance. You pray with assurance. And so much like Psalm 3, Psalm 4 opens with David crying out to God. And so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I do want to reiterate because this is very important. We should first go to God in the midst of our difficult circumstances. That's the first place that we should go. When our trust is truly in the Lord, we go to Him in prayer in the midst of all of our circumstances. But it's not just that David prays. I don't want you to see this and go, okay, so pray when things are hard, and and that's it. But I want you to really notice how David prays. How he prays. We see some specific things in verse 1 that show us how David prays, how he has assurance. First of all, David recognizes where his righteousness comes from. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we have no righteousness of our own. No amount of good deeds or good works can make you righteous. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And if you are unfamiliar with that verse... Let me just go ahead and tell you, at the risk of being crass, that that is a reference to menstrual garments. That's what that's talking about. That verse is essentially saying the best we have to offer to God is like menstrual garments to Him. It is not pleasant to Him. It is not pleasurable to Him to receive and look upon our righteousness. Philippians 3.9 tells us, be found, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, <coughs> excuse me, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what we see here in these verses is a recognition that we do not have righteousness, but our righteousness comes from from God and from God alone. It comes from God through Christ. That was true for David, who had to look ahead to the coming Messiah who would come from his line. And that is true for us, who must look back to the Messiah who has come. We have no righteousness. And so when David prays, he is praying to the God who is his righteousness, who gives him righteousness. The next thing that David does in verse 1 that show us that he is praying with assurance, he remembers God's work in the past. What does he say? You have given me relief when I was in distress. You have given me relief when I was in distress. This remembrance of what God has done is of vital importance for the people of God. All throughout the Old Testament, God would tell Israel, remember this. Tell your children this. Build an altar to commemorate this. 
Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. We must constantly remind ourselves of the things that God has done. Both the things that God has done for His people and the things that God has done for us, specifically. We must remind ourselves of those things. That is part of the ground of praying with assurance. And then the third thing that we see in verse 1, what does David say? He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David's prayer is resting upon God's grace. David knows that God's unmerited favor has been shown to his people. God has shown favor to us as his people. And so David is praying to God in light of that. He is calling out to God and saying, God, you are gracious. Be gracious to me and answer my prayer. Hear my prayer. And so all of those things add up to praying with assurance. This knowledge that God not only hears our prayers, but that God will answer our prayers. He will give us relief in our distress. When you pray to God, He will give you relief. But notice with me that David does not focus here on God granting him deliverance from distress. Those are two different things. There are other places in the Scriptures and the Psalms specifically where David says that God will deliver him, that God has delivered him. But here, David simply says, you have given me relief. You have given me relief. This is important to understand because God will not always take away these difficult circumstances. Someone you love may be dying And you might pray fervently and you might call out to God in his graciousness that he would heal this person that you love so much. And he may not. But do you know what he will do? He will give you comfort. You may pray like Paul did that God would remove this thorn from your flesh, this specific struggle that you have. And you may pray over and over and over again asking God to please remove it. And like Paul, God may say to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And so Paul goes on and he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am am strong brothers and sisters when we pray with assurance we do not pray with hearts that are set upon god removing our struggle i have heard it erroneously taught and erroneously said by so many christians that simply say if if god really loves me and really hears my prayers he'll take this away 
If God really loves me and really hears my prayers, then that child of mine who is wayward will be saved. If God truly loves me, and if I just have enough faith, then God will do this thing that I ask. Let me let you in on a secret. It is highly unlikely that you have more faith than Paul. It is highly unlikely that you have more righteousness than Paul. And yet here is Paul crying out to God for relief, and God says no. Because in your weakness, I am strong. And so when we pray, when we pray with assurance, what that looks like for us is that we have hearts that are content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for us. His favor toward us is all that we need. Think about that. How sad it is for Christians to pray and think to themselves and have their hearts set upon, if God really loves me, He'll heal me. When in reality, all we need is Jesus Christ. He's far more than we'll ever need. God sent His Son to reconcile you back to Himself. And here you are saying, God, I need more. I need more. I need you to heal me. I need you to take this away. No. We have Christ. And our prayers, when we pray with assurance, should reflect that. We pray, as Jesus taught us, that Christ will be glorified and that the Lord's will will be done. That is what the prayers of assurance of believers look like. Being content with weakness. Focusing on the glory of Jesus Christ. Focusing on the will of God in the world and in us. And that leads us into the next point that we see in verses 2 and 3. That trust in the Lord means that we hope in God's purposes. We hope in God's purposes. O men, verse 2, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David says that his honor is being turned into shame. Essentially what he's talking about is that there are people who are lying about him. People who are saying things about him that are not true. And so things that should be bringing honor to David, things that should be pointing out David's honor, are bringing shame upon him. This was likely written around the same time as Psalm 3. And so it's probably a similar context when he was fleeing from Absalom. And there were probably all kinds of things that were being said about David throughout the kingdom at that point. In the midst of his fleeing from Absalom, one of, his, one of his subjects stood out in his yard and chased David's caravan, cursing him all the way. And so here's David, and he's saying, how long will my honor be turned into shame? Have you ever felt this way? 
Have you ever felt this way, brothers and sisters? That there are people who love vain words and seek after lies that are consciously slandering you, harming your reputation, intentionally trying to destroy you? That's where David is. It is a natural response for us to say, how long, oh Lord, how long will this go on? But notice what David does. David, in the midst of saying, how long will this go on? He does not lose hope. He doesn't throw his hands in the air and weep. What does he say? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. David hopes in the promises of God. He knows that God has set apart a people for Himself. In Exodus 33.16 it says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? God has set apart a people for himself. We are distinct from all the other people. From every other person. His people are different. His love for us is different. His favor toward us is different. And so David, in the midst of this, on the run for his life, his reputation has been shredded to pieces. And what does David say? David says, I know that I am God's. I know that God has set me apart for himself. When he says for himself, what that means is that God has set David apart for his own purposes. He has set him apart for his own purposes. The same is true of you and I. And so when we think about what the purposes of God are for us, it might be that you live a long, happy, healthy life filled with no struggle and no sorrow. It also might be that you die young, painfully, it might be that you watch your children reject the Lord. It might be that you struggle against this specific sin for the rest of your life. And do you know what that is? That is God working out His purposes in you. You don't believe me? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Brothers and sisters, that does not say all things work out good. That says all things work out for good. That means that everything that happens to you in your life has a purpose, and that purpose is your sanctification. That you will be more like Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as meaningless. If it happens to you, it serves a purpose. And the purpose is always that you would be more like Jesus. 
So when you're tempted to say, why is this happening to me, God? That's your answer. That's the answer. That God wants you to be more like Christ. And so here's David, hoping in God's purposes, knowing that God has set apart a people for himself. And so what does he say to that? He says, the Lord hears when I call to him. So those purposes, the purposes of God, are another ground of David's assurance. And they should be another ground of our assurance. The Lord hears us. He will hear us when we call to him. Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. We can never exhaust the steadfast love of God. No matter our circumstances, no matter how much we struggle, keep calling out to God. Keep hoping in His purposes. The next thing that we see in verses 4 and 5 is that when we trust the Lord, when we put our trust in the Lord, we answer strife with faith. We answer strife with faith. Verse 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Be angry and do not sin. Now, just for clarification, this is not the Bible telling you the right response is always get mad about it. That's not what's happening here. What David is saying is, if you are upset, agitated, angry, frustrated, fine. Don't sin. Don't sin. It is a frustrating thing when people slander you. I know. You know. It is a frustrating thing when people are actively trying to harm you. But how we respond can be sinful or not. And so what does it look like to be angry and not sin? Well, what, what does David say? Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. So notice what he doesn't say. Call up all your friends and complain to them about it. Notice what he doesn't say. Offer it as a prayer request at church that's really just thinly veiled gossip. But instead, ponder it in your own heart. And so what are you pondering it in the light of? You are pondering it in the light of the assurance that we have that God will answer our prayers. You are pondering it in the light of the fact that God is using it for your good. You are pondering it in light of the abundance of scriptures that we have that tell us that Christ is sufficient. That's what you're pondering it in. And then when he says, on your beds, here's what he means. How many of you have ever been facing a difficult situation and you lie down to sleep at night and you can't sleep? Because all you can think about is that struggle. All you can think about is what's going on in my life. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? What's going to happen next? 
And so David says, ponder these things on your bed. Ponder these things on your bed. When you think about, what am I going to do? Instead, think about, what has God already done? The God who has always given us relief when we are in distress has all things in his hands. And so what is the last thing he says? And be silent. It is extraordinarily tempting, me included, to talk about these things in a way that is not helpful, in a way that is frankly sinful. That's our natural tendency. Did you hear about what so-and-so did to me? And that is not the way that we should respond. We should respond by pondering these things in our own heart, on our bed, and be silent. And then what? Because you ponder them, and you lay on your bed, and you're silent, and then what do you do? You get up, and you offer right sacrifices. You put your trust in the Lord. What do you do? You worship Jesus Christ. That's what you do. You don't lay in your bed and think about, what am I going to do? You start singing hymns. You start reading your Bible. You start worshiping God. Because the same God who sent His Son to redeem you from sin is the same God who is with you in the midst of this struggle. No matter how large or small it may be, He is with you always, even till the end of the age. And so we offer right sacrifices. And notice the use of the word right there. Because sometimes, if we're honest, when we struggle, we're tempted to kind of carry a little bit of a grudge against God. And so we worship kind of half-heartedly. Right? We kind of go, well, you know, I'll sing. I'll come to church. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. But my heart's not in it. Because I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated. I'm a little bit mad at God because he's letting this thing happen to me. So David says, no, 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 no. Offer right sacrifices. Be wholehearted in your worship and praise of God. That's how we respond. Put your trust in the Lord. What does he mean? He's saying, leave it to God. Someone's trying to harm you. Someone's trying to kill you, as in David's case. Trust God with it. Remember when David was on the run from Saul? God gave him opportunities. They were presented to him, in front of him, to kill Saul. And the whole world would have been like, you're justified to do that. That dude's trying to kill you. And David says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God with it. And God took care of it. God will take care of you. Answer strife with faith. And the last thing we see in our passage this morning as we, as we prepare to close in verses 6-8, through eight, that when we trust the Lord, when we put our trust in the Lord, we should hold fast to joy. We should hold fast to joy. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So what's happening here? 
David is, is pointing out that there are many people who are saying that God is not good. And so in faithlessness, they are saying, when's God going to show us some good? When's God going to show us some good? Forgetting everything he's already done, forgetting all the promises that he's already made, they say, when's God going to show us some good? And David rightly understands what they really want is material blessing. They want their grain and their wine to abound. By the way, I know we're all Baptists here, but the Bible does tell us that an abundance of wine is a good thing. Just saying. <laughs> that was for you, Jody. <laughs> abundance of wine. All right. They are faithlessly asking God to respond because they want God to respond in the way that they desire. They think the right answer, they think the real fix is for God to give them stuff, to bless them with stuff. But David knows that the right thing to do is to focus on what God has already done and what God has already promised. David says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In other words, David is saying, even when they get what they want, when they get this, this blessing that they think that they want, you have given me more joy. How? Because he has given him relief when he was in distress. Because he answers him when he calls. Because he has set a people apart for himself. He is focusing on the promises that God has made. And it brings him joy. It brings him joy. So whereas they might be focusing on material provision as proof, and material provision as proof does include saying things like, if God really loves me, he'll heal me. That still counts as material provision because it is something tangible that God can do. And what God is saying is, I have already done what is sufficient because I have sent my Son, Jesus Christ. And so what does David say? In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. In peace. Think about the circumstances of his life. Think about what's going on around him. Think about the things that he's talked about in this psalm. And David says, in peace, I lie down and sleep. And you know what? You notice that he says he's going to lie down and sleep. This is kind of a callback to that whole ponder it on your beds. David says, I don't have any trouble sleeping. I don't lay in my bed and ponder these things like, what am I going to do? David says, I lie down and I go to sleep. And the Hebrew there carries this connotation of them being kind of simultaneous. So David is essentially saying, I fall asleep as soon as my head hits the pillow. I am out. Those are the best nights, right? The nights where you just lay down and you're out. That's what David says he has in the midst of all of this. In peace, he lies down and goes straight to sleep. Why? Because God alone makes him dwell in safety. Listen, God is the only one who can take care of us. The things of the world cannot take care of us. The people in our lives cannot take care of us. We cannot take care of ourselves. We need 
the Lord to care for us. And so in the midst of these struggles and circumstances, focus on the joy of the Lord. Hold fast to that joy. Cling to it as though your life depends on it because it does. Hold fast to the joy. And so when we think about holding fast to that joy, we're not holding fast to this intangible concept. We are holding fast to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know how I know that? Because the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that in the presence of God, there is joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And who is seated at the right hand of God? Jesus Christ. And so if you want true joy, seek Jesus. If you want true joy that you can hold fast to, if you want to put your trust in the Lord, seek Jesus Christ. Seek Jesus Christ. And so as we close this morning, how can we have this sort of trust, this sort of confidence? Because maybe you're here this morning and you are in Christ. You, you're a believer. You know Jesus. But maybe your trust is, is, is hard to come by. Your confidence is waning. Let me remind you of a couple of scriptures to help you. Psalm 91, starting in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Brothers and sisters, when you cling to Christ, God takes care of you. Then in Hebrews chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Brothers and sisters, what we have in Jesus Christ is we have confidence. We have confidence that God answers us when we call. We have confidence that God will keep his promises. We have confidence that God loves us because he has shown it. He has shown it in sending His Son. And so if you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus Christ, all of this is impossible for you. You cannot trust in God. You cannot have assurance. You cannot do these things. It is only in Christ that you can do these things. That these things are possible for you. 
And so in just a moment, we're going to have a song of reflection, a song of response. And during this time, my encouragement to you is to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in the Lord. Because in Him, we can pray with assurance. In Him, we can respond to these circumstances of life in faith. It is only in Him that we can hold fast to joy. And so if you are here this morning and don't know Jesus, I would love to share more with you about how you can know Him. And if you are here this morning and you do know Jesus Christ, which is likely the majority of us, my encouragement to you is this, to set your heart upon the promises of God on these reminders that we see in Psalm 4. To put your trust in the Lord every moment of every day. It's not a one-time thing. You don't check a box and then move on. It is a conscious effort you have to make moment by moment to do these things, to trust in Him fully. And so as Brother Scott comes, we get ready to sing, let me pray for us that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for grace. Grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor that we have never even come close to deserving, and yet you freely offer and give. And so, Lord, here today, I pray that you would convict of sin and of righteousness, that, Lord, you would work in the hearts of your people, that we would put our trust in you. That if there are any here, Lord, who do not know Christ, that you would move them to respond in faith, to repent of sin, to believe in the gospel. Father, please bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.